be reading from Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, and chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you what it is your request. Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of my king, And if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Chapter 6. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthena and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. Thank you, Greg. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you. In 1937... Walt Disney released his first full-length animated film. You know which one that was? Yeah, good job. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. It was an incredible task put on by Disney, and it was one that took a lot of time. There was over a million pictures that were drawn for this film. And each picture took up one twenty-fourth of a second for the film. And as you come to the theater and you watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, you watch it running full speed and you just enjoy and you're caught up in the moment of it all. Having no recognition of all that took place to have this film come into being. That's what I want to look at this morning. Our lives are 
running full speed. And we don't recognize a lot of times, right in the middle of it, that there is a lot of work behind the scenes. There's a lot of detail. There's so much going on, and we have no idea because we just step into the full, full speed scene of life. And what I hope we see this morning as we study Esther 5 and 6 is that God is behind the scenes. And not only is God behind the scenes, God is in every scene. Let's pray. Father, let's pray that you will do that work with us this morning. I pray that your spirit will be revealed, that we will see how you are so involved in our lives and everything that's going on in, in our communities, in our government, that you are not absent. Father, that you uh, are so near to us, and so minister to us this morning, I pray, as we, as we study your word. And we thank you that you are involved in every scene. In your precious name, amen. Well, what I'd like to do is do a little recap of this wonderful book of Esther. It's such an amazing story. And some of us have read through it and know the story. Some of us have only gotten part way, but... It's one of those stories that just captures you in all that's going on. It was the time of Xerxes of Persia. It was the empire that was most powerful, soon to go to war with Greece. And a huge celebration was thrown to, to really give praise to how awesome Xerxes was and what a great man he was. Also to prepare for future war against Greece, and so, in the middle of the celebration, Xerxes knew how to throw a, throw a party that kept going on for months. In the middle of the celebration, everybody says, we want Vashti, the queen, to come into the presence. She was beautiful beyond measure. So bring Vashti. And so they called, the king called for her to be brought to his presence. But she refused to come. You just don't do that to the king. And so Vashti, the queen, lost her position as queen in the king's anger. And then in chapter 2, we see that Xerxes wants a new queen. And so the first beauty pageant recorded in history happens. Let's get all the wonderful, beautiful virgins in the land lined up, and let's parade them before the king so that he can choose a new queen. And those living in the land at the time, there were many Jewish exiles who came out of Babylon. And in the story, in chapter 2, we're introduced to Mordecai, who was this wonderful, caring relative of Hadassah. Hadassah is Esther. Esther is her Persian name. And Esther was a young woman who was cared for by Mordecai, and she was taken and gathered, like many of the virgins in the land, to be presented to the king, as Xerxes was looking for a new king. And Mordecai said to Esther, I don't want you to let the, know, let the king know what your heritage is. And so go as Esther, be known as Esther, and don't let anybody know 
that you are of Jewish lineage. And as Esther was brought before the king, the king loved Esther more than any of the other women, and she was chosen to be queen. And during that time, Mordecai overheard a plot to kill the king. Two of the bodyguards were going to take out the king. And he passed on the word to Esther, and Esther passed on the word to King Xerxes, and it was found to be true. And that act was recorded in the book of Chronicles, the book of remembrances. And those men who plotted to kill Xerxes were hung. And life for the Jews at the time was pretty okay. Mordecai was in good standing. The Jewish people were living in the land in peace, making a living, and things were okay. And then we get to chapter 3. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Haman shows up. Evil, awful leader. It's four years after Esther was chosen queen. And Haman comes into the picture and he represents pure evil. Haman represents everything about the flesh that's consumed with self. Living for self and letting evil take over. Haman's an Amalekite, and the Amalekites have always been enemies of God. And he shows up and rises to power. He rises above all the princes. He's basically second in command. And when Haman comes into town, it's expected that you will bow down to Haman. And the scriptures tell us, but Mordecai would not bow down. And this infuriated Haman, and now he plotted to kill all of the Jews in the land. And he was able to get agreement from King Xerxes and got his signet ring. Let's kill all the Jews in the land, and he manipulated him by saying there's a people who we need to take care of. And they ended up toasting to their plan to wipe out the Jews in the land. And as we enter chapter 4, Mordecai learned what was going on, the plot to kill all of the Jews. And so he went into the courtyard wearing sackcloth and ashes and crying out against this incredible injustice. And word got to Esther. Now Esther's character throughout all of this uh, study of Esther is one that reflects Christ. She is the one who can deliver her people out of a certain death. Esther is the one who is to be looked to as the Redeemer. And Esther at first, when she hears this, she is afraid Mordecai is asking her to do something about it. And she mentions that she would be killed if she was to step into the presence of the king. You weren't allowed to do such a thing. She hadn't been invited. And she has fear. But Mordecai, who I think has some reflection of the Holy Spirit, speaks truth to her, encourages her spirit, reminds her that she will not escape the punishment of death, reminds her that if she doesn't step in there, 
the people will be delivered. He seems to have some amazing faith that God will deliver his people. And so he speaks these words to Esther and reminds her, for such a time as this, Esther, you've been brought into this place. And that was a question we talked about last week. Each and every one of us, asking yourselves, where has God placed you right now, this very day? Whose lives has he placed you involved with? Dana, my goodness, I loved hearing your story this morning. And that you were placed in each other's lives. And that you showed up at that camp for such a time as this. That really ministered to me. Thank you. Where has God placed you for such a time as this? To be used of God at work, a stay-at-home mom. Where has he placed you? Because he has purpose for your life to live out his life through you for his kingdom work for such a time as this. As a follower of Jesus Christ responding to God, and Esther responds like Christ with that statement, if I perish, I perish. Basically, I'm willing to lay down my life to save the people of God. I'm scared to death, but I'm going to trust God to do that. And so go and fast and pray for three days. And so at the end of chapter 4, which we finished up with last week, we're left with a cliffhanger. Every chapter of the this, of this story, we're left with a cliffhanger. Will Xerxes have Esther killed for entering in uninvited? Will the Jewish people be wiped out? And the question that keeps coming up, where is God in all of this mess? Where is God? Is he going to show up in the middle of this? We cry that a lot, don't we? Where are you, God, in the middle of this? And I think we're going to see that God is behind the scenes and he's present in every scene. Benjamin Franklin said this, the longer I live, the more I'm convinced of these proofs that I see in this truth that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire cannot rise without his aid. I'm convinced that God is in the middle and governs the affairs of man. Because it's true. That's who our God is. And in these next chapters, we're going to see God's affairs, his hand upon the affairs of men, God's hand upon his people. And I think, and I really pray, I hope you'll hear that he's present with you. He's not absent. But he's fully involved in your life and all that's going on the blessings of life, the hardships that we were praying through this morning of life, he's fully present in your life. So let me also do a summary of the story of chapters 5 and 6, because I want you to get the whole story, and then I want to draw out a few things that we can 
see uh, that maybe God's teaching us uh, in these things. Chapter 5, Esther shows up. Basically it says she puts on royalty, that's the Hebrew. She puts on royalty. She gets beautiful. It's better, better than any prom dress you've ever seen. She's gorgeous. And she's ready to go before the king. And she steps in front of the king and she receives favor from the king and is allowed to enter into his presence. So much so, favor has come upon her that the king says, I grant you your wish, whatever it is, up to half of my kingdom. So come and enter in, Esther. And Esther says, King, listen, let me prepare a banquet for you. And also invite Haman to be present. And so at the banquet, the king asked again, Esther, what is it? What is it that you would like? Up to half of my kingdom. Haman is invited to that banquet and invited to the next one. And Haman left joyful from this place. I'm invited with the king and with the queen into the presence for this wonderful banquet. I have found favor. My stock is rising. I'm gaining more power. And he left joyful from the place. But on his way home, he runs into Mordecai. He just can't stand Mordecai. The hatred is just oozing out of him towards Mordecai. You see, Mordecai will not bow down. Mordecai doesn't even recognize him. He gives him no attention. He does nothing for him. And that just infuriates Haman. And so he comes home, Haman does, and he comes to his wife and to his friends, and he's, he, he's not going to let it happen. He's not going to let it take away all that's going on. And so Haman shows up at home, and he boasts about his position. And he boasts about all of his wealth, and he boasts about his sons, and all that he has attained. Again, Haman, who is living full flesh. Haman, who represents evil and life in the flesh. And yet in verse 13 it says, It's all nothing to me because of this Jew, Mordecai. And so his wife and his friends said, well, let's have some gallows built. And actually the measurement of those gallows, 75 feet in the air. They wanted this murder to be seen by everyone and high up. So let's arrange this where you go to the king and tell him we want to kill Mordecai. And as Haman heard these words from his wife and from his friends to build the gallows, it really pleased him. This sounds like a good idea. I look forward to killing Mordecai. End of chapter 5, another cliffhanger. Will Mordecai get murdered? What's wrong with Esther? Why is she waiting to tell the king that the Jews are going to get wiped out? She hasn't told him yet. And then we once again go, where's God in the middle of all this? There's so much evil all around. The signet ring, there, there is a death warrant. 
out for the Jewish people, and we're left hanging again. And then so chapter 6, that night, Esther asked to make another banquet. That night, the king could not sleep. Ever had those nights? Where you're wondering, why in the heck am I still awake? I've often had those nights where it's like 3.33 in the morning. And I, I go, that's kind of godly numbers. Maybe God's trying to, you know, do something. Trinity numbers. You go, what's the Lord wanting to speak to me? But the king of the most powerful empire is awake. Insomnia. And so he says, listen, bring these books. The books of remembrances, the chronicles. And as the books are brought to read to the king the story about Mordecai and what he did, how he saved the king from being killed by these two guardsmen. And so he hears the story and he asks the question, what honor has been placed upon them? And the response is, there hasn't been any honor. And the king says, well, we need to. And he's been up all night, and it's first thing in the morning now. And so he says, who's in the court? Well, it just so happens, Haman, who's so excited about killing Mordecai, is at the court first thing in the morning. Well, Haman's in the court. Oh, good. The king says, bring him into my presence. So Haman comes into the presence of the king. Ah, Haman, I'm so glad you're here. You're here. Let me ask you a question. What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman, thinking the king is referring to him, decides, I'm going to answer with some things that I think about me. Well, O king, let royal robes that the king has worn be placed on such a man. And let him be placed on a horse that the king has ridden. And lead this man around the city and let it be announced, thus shall it be done to the one who the king delights to honor. And now comes the twist, the comical twist, like a great Shakespearean play. Yes, Haman, I love that idea. Thank you for that input. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to do all that you have said. I want you to do this to this guy named Mordecai, the Jew. You can just picture Haman. You can just see the steam coming off. Haman... Leave nothing out that you have said. And so Haman did all that the king had ordered. And after all of this was done, after Haman took out Mordecai into the courts and announced and gave him praise, after all this was done, Mordecai returned to the gate where he was, and Haman went home totally defeated, head covered, and he tells his wife and friends all that had happened. And Zeresh, his wife, says to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is one of the Jewish people, you will not overcome 
but you will surely fall before him, Haman. Now let me just give a little marriage advice here. When your husband is feeling like a total failure, when he's totally defeated, saying that you're a big loser and things are going to get worse, (laughs) not the best for your marriage. But I love how God's working in this story of Esther. And so once again, at the end of chapter 6, cliffhanger, what will happen to Haman? Is Zeresh right about his demise? There still is a death sentence upon the Jewish people. Is God playing games with us? Or is he finally showing up? We'll have to wait for chapter 7 and 8 for that next week. We read these narratives, we read these stories in the Bible. And narratives are a little tricky in the sense of, what's God trying to tell us? What's he trying to bring to our lives? And a lot of times when we read stories like this, God is ministering to each of you differently. Oh, you know, you learn things about Esther, and you're like, yeah, I want to be like Esther and and have that courage to go before the king. I want to be able to lay down my life for others. God ministers to us in different ways. And the, the spiritual principles or truths are, are a little more vague in narratives. And so we try, to, we try to glean what God is saying. And so I just want to share with you some things that really stood out for me uh, that I think the Lord is bringing to us in this wonderful story of Esther. As we think about what God is doing. God behind the scenes, yet God in every scene. One of the things, and, and I loved Adrienne, I loved the worship this morning, all, all drawing us into the throne room of God. Because one of the things I think chapters 5 and 6 really bring us to is this place of, of entering in before the king. The whole scene starts out like that. Entering in before the king. The scriptures say, she obtained favor in his sight. The Hebrew literally, literally says she received grace from the king. She received grace from him. And I think that actually means that Esther found favor, received grace from her king, from God, before all of this. You know, she took three days and had everybody going to fast and pray, and she herself did the same. And you can only imagine what was going on during those three days. But I really believe she was seeking out the heart of God, dependent upon Him, needy, scared, seeking His strength, His wisdom, drawing near to God. Maybe she had been distant from the Lord, but I think at this point, drawing near to God and saying, God, show me what you would have me do. She was able to enter in and found grace with her God. And so Esther comes near and she touches the scepter as she receives grace from the king. 
And surely her heart was trembling as she waited for that uplifting of the scepter. Scared to come into the throne room. And one of the things that I saw in this chapter and I was thinking about was, oh, how different it is for us who are followers of Jesus Christ. That we do not show up in the presence of the King, Jesus, God our Father. We do not show up into His presence with fear. We do not have to fear. Because as we have humbly surrendered our lives to Him, we can come in fully assured that He will receive us. Fully assured that He says, Come, dear children, draw near into my presence. The scriptures speak, especially in the New Testament, all about who we are in Christ and entering into the presence of God. So many of us are afraid because of our sin, because of our mess, to draw near to God. Those who don't have relationship with Jesus Christ yet a lot of times are are saying, I need to get it right first before I can draw near to God. And yet he's saying, come humbly, surrender your life unto me, and come into my presence. There is no fear. It's like that story that Melody told last week about Jack, who came to Christ. He's like, I have too much sin to be able to come into the throne room. And that's all taken care of because of Christ. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into His grace, into which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Hebrews says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace and let us do it with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can fully enter into the presence of Christ, of God, and know that we receive mercy and grace and His tenderness and his love, his forgiveness. And as we humble ourselves before God and surrender our lives unto him, we are received before him. There's no pointing finger. There's no shame, shame, shame on you. We're not worried about the wrath of God against our sin as we are children of God. We are not trembling before the great awes. We are fully embraced by Him, confident of His love and forgiveness. That's one of the beautiful pictures I see in the story of Esther. Freely enter into the presence of God. Draw near. He loves you to draw near to Him. And when you draw near to Him, what do the Scriptures tell us? He draws near to you. He is present with you. He wants to be present with you. He wants relationship with you. And so draw near.
The opposite of that, the opposite of that is this incredible pride that we see in Haman. A pride that takes over. A pride that kills and destroys everything around. When we are prideful, when we live in the flesh, when we think we've got it all together, when we think we don't need God, when we boast in and of ourselves, we will be humbled. Esther 5.9 says, Haman won out that day and he was pleased, he was glad of heart about this presence before the king, but he ran into Mordecai. He was so puffed up in who he was, the peacock feathers had come out. Haman was like the famous actor, John Barrymore. This is what he said. One of my chief regrets during my years in the theater is that I could not sit in the audience and watch me. The Proverbs warn us, a man's pride will bring him low. But a humble spirit will obtain honor. David Guzik comments on this. He says, Haman must have been miserable. He's honored by the king and queen of Persia, and yet one man makes him feel worthless. It's such an accurate description of how empty the rewards of this world are. Haman's deep-seated insecurities, his need to be honored by everybody, means that he can never be happy. God meant this hunger for acceptance in each of us to be ultimately fulfilled by Christ. Haman's looking to be filled by everybody giving him praise, and one man takes that all away. It's so empty. The story of Haman's life is such a warning to us about allowing pride to take over our lives. Because it leads to nothing but death. It consumes us. Haman is recounting all of his glory to his family, all of his children. And the Proverbs remind us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Haman is digging his own hole. And he's going to bury himself in it. All of this, he says, all of this that I have, it doesn't satisfy me. He can't even enjoy all of his boasting, his prestige, his position. He can't enjoy it. Because taken away by Mordecai. And because he's relying on everything of the flesh to fulfill him. And yet God, instead of lifting up Haman, lifts up Mordecai. And that's one of the things I want us to think about this morning. Wherever you're at in your life, letting God lift you up. Not your pride, not your boasting. Let God lift you up. Place you in the spot where he needs you to be. You know, it's interesting in the scriptures, there's, there's no mention 
of Mordecai as he's taken around by Haman. He doesn't say anything that we see in the scriptures. But you can only imagine. I guess if I was Mordecai and I had Haman, my enemy, and he was dragging me around, I'd be like, who's your daddy? How do you like me now? Hey, Haman, the horse dropped some stuff back there. Pick it up. But you know what? Humble Mordecai. Humble Mordecai. He let God do all the lifting. And that's what we're called to do. Let God lift us up. Beware of pride in your life. We take pride in our positions. We take pride in our stuff. We take pride... In, in, in all of our spirituality as though, as though we've made some great effort to save ourselves or that we are so righteous. I think these chapters remind us, guard yourself against pride and let God lift you up. And then the final thing I see, which is really the big picture of how we started. God is behind the scenes, but he's in every scene. Our God is sovereign, and he's working everything together for his purposes. And I think in our lives, what what God wants us to see, and, and what we need to do is we need to slow down the film and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us one frame at a time. And even though God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, When you slow down that film and you come to one frame at a time, you're going to see God has photobombed every frame. He's in every frame. You're like, oh, I didn't see God there. But he's right there with me. When you look at Esther coming before the king, if I perish, I perish. That was very legitimate. The king could have woken up on the wrong side of the bed And just for that fact, could have wiped out Esther. I'm in a bad mood. You're done. You came into my presence uninvited. You're done. Proverbs 21 says, and this is where you see God's hand, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You see God's hand in the fact that Esther didn't make the request right off the bat. At first we're like, why didn't she make the request? Was she afraid? I think in her time with the Lord, she was gaining discernment and being shrewd and really thinking through, what is this going to look like? And so she really gave, she really gave honor to the king. She really gave him value. And what we think is like, Esther, step up. Even in that whole working, there came a sleepless night for the king. And in that sleepless night, you can't miss God's hand here. I could have done anything I wanted to try to fall back to sleep. I could have grabbed some concubines. I could have grabbed some alcohol. No, I grabbed the book of Chronicles, the remembrances. Obviously, it was a real snoozer. That's why you read it late at night. And I got 127 provinces of stuff that's going on. Grab one of them. Oh, just happens to be the story. In the region, 
and as it's flipped open, it just happens to be about Mordecai. And what he did just so happens. You don't see God's hand in that? A sleepless night. A second banquet that comes into being that stirs incredible pride and hatred from Haman. And all of a sudden, Haman's there first thing in the morning, just when the king's looking for someone because of a sleepless night. Coincidence? I think not. God is going to fulfill his purposes. His sovereign God who is present. And he wants us to enter into his presence to be with him in this life together. And to know that God is behind the scenes and he's in every scene. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you are in the middle of all of this. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you allow us to enter into your throne room freely, assured, confident that we are loved by you as we humble ourselves before you, as you have received us as children of God. Would you minister to us this morning that truth? Thank you for loving us, Lord Jesus. In your precious name, amen.